Pastor Xavier Reese with the simple truth about missed privileges and God's ample provision. Come to me, all you who are laboring and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. That rest is from the burdens of life, the difficulties, the situations. And if we carry them on our own, they get so heavy that even as Christians, we can be blown away, can't we? We can be in the king's house and be starving. We can live in the king's house and never take the privilege to go talk to him so he can take care of our problems. We need that rest. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Most once-in-a-lifetime deals do come around again, but when it comes to the gospel, sometimes one opportunity is all you get. Today, Pastor Xavier takes a closer look at the proclamation of the good news and response of those who hear these words of grace. Let's join him for today's intriguing message. Matthew chapter 11 been titled the message, How Do You Respond to the Gospel? We want to look to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ this morning in verses 25 through 30 and see how He responds to those who hear the Gospel. What His attitude is that we might learn from Him. Let me read verses 25 through 30 and we'll take section at a time. He says, At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seems good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and he to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The first thing we want to look at is the proclamation of thanks. The gratitude of Jesus is to the Father, who is Lord of heaven and earth. But he gives two reasons. First, because he had hidden the things of God the good news from the wise and the prudent. Those who had rejected the gospel, the wise and the prudent, referred to those who are self-sufficient. They use the logic, the reason of the world to rationalize that the gospel is fine for those who need it, but not for me. But the deception is that all fall short of the glory of God. And there is not one righteous, no, not one. But secondly, notice that it's because he had revealed them the things of God, the gospel, to babes. The babes are in direct contrast to the wise and the prudent. Those who have humbled themselves, those who are poor in spirit, those who have been willing to see their own sinfulness and their need of salvation as God has revealed it. If you open your heart, God can save you. So the difficulty is not on God's side, the difficulty is on my side. Whether I am willing to open my heart and believe God for what He has declared as a little child. Unless we become like a little child, the Bible says we cannot enter the kingdom of God. Notice next, the delight of the Father is the salvation of man, not the damnation of man in verse 26. 
Even so, Father, for so it seems good in your sight. And so here the delight of the Father, as well as Jesus Christ, is in that those who the gospel has come to, they have humbled themselves and been open to receive the message of the gospel and see themselves as they really are for the first time. And they are so shocked and so devastated and see themselves in such a need that all they can do is rush to the Father's arms and say, Save me, Lord. Have you seen yourself in need of salvation like that? Or do you just kind of say, well, yeah, I mean, I wasn't, but I'm saved, but you know, I would. no, 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 you've got it wrong. You see, when the gospel of Christ comes to us and we see ourselves for who we really are, it's a real humbling picture. But God is there to take care of that. And this is the delight of the Father. Now we know there's another power working in the world, the God of this world. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4. He has blinded the eyes of those men lest the light of the glorious gospel should come upon them and they shall be saved. And so this morning you have Satan and his emissaries working here for those of you who do not know Jesus Christ. And he'll try to blind you as much as he can. But it's up to you whether you're going to allow him to. At the same time, you have God's Holy Spirit working to knock at the door of your heart that you might open your heart to realize your own depravity and your own need of salvation. But again, there's your human responsibility. Will you be open to that? Will you agree with God? Or will you want to sit down and have some conferences and try to negotiate? You see, that's the human responsibility. So you have divine sovereignty working, but you also have human responsibility always present. There's the setting. All of this rejection. You know, it doesn't change as you move on in chapter 12. It says, at that time Jesus went through the grain field. At that time, there it is again. And you have the whole scenario of the grain field and the Pharisees trying to accuse him, rejecting the evidence, the gospel. Into the temple, he heals the man with the withered hand, rejecting the witness of God. Casting out demon in verse 22 on down, rejecting that it's a work of God. And so Jesus warns them in verse 31 to 32 of chapter 12 of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Not that they had reached it, but they were well on their way. What is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? It is a continual rejection of the gospel of Jesus Christ that you need salvation, you need repentance. And you continue to reject and reject and reject and reject to the point to where you are given up or you die without the gospel. Now, for those of you that are freaking out, the best way to explain blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is this. If you think you've committed it, you haven't. Because if you had, you wouldn't be here or be worried about it. You're giving up. So, quit worrying about it. Jesus moves on to give us the declaration of truth. In verse 27, All things have been delivered to me of my Father, and no man knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and he to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Notice first, the Father has entrusted all things to the Son, physical and spiritual. 
All things belong to Him. No one can come in any way and address God apart from Jesus Christ. Everything has been turned over to Jesus. Absolutely everything. But notice also, secondly, that the Father alone knows the Son. The word knows there is epinoskos, which means, gnoskos uh, means to know, and epi is a prefix which means to know thoroughly, completely, deeply. And the only one who knows the Son, the Father is the one who alone knows the Son completely. He was with the Father from the beginning of time. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and God was the Word. From what beginning? From the beginning of eternity. They have always coexisted. They have always been in fellowship, and yet Jesus willingly broke that fellowship to die for you and myself. And please mark it, He was separated. How? I can't understand it. For if He wasn't separated, why did He cry out on the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You go down a couple of verses, He tells you why. Because you are holy, and Jesus became sin for us. He couldn't look upon sin. A mystery that we don't understand. Thirdly, notice that the Father is known only by the Son. Kind of seems like a little game back and forth, huh? But he's trying to establish some truth. It's very important what he's saying here. John 1.18 says that no one has descended except he who has ascended on high, meaning the Son. So in other words, God limits His knowledge and the knowledge of Himself by the Son. No one knows the Son but the Father, and no one knows the Father but the Son. Jesus continually told this to the Jews throughout the Gospel of John. At one time in John 6.46, He says, Not that anyone has seen the Father except He who is from God. He has seen the Father. He was referring to Himself. In the gospel, not the gospel, but the epistle to Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, he says that in the, God at different times and in different manners and time past spoke to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us by his dear Son, who is the full infulgence of his person, the very image of his person. Didn't Jesus tell Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? I and the Father are one. And so here you have the two persons of the Godhead, who are in full agreement and in full knowledge of themselves, and yet to say that I know the Father without knowing the Son is inconsistent. To say that I know the Son, but I don't know the Father, is confusion. Because they are intricately connected. But there is one final thing in Jesus' declaration of truth. It is that the Father is revealed by the Son. And He to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. No one can come to the Father except through Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by Me. Acts 4, 12 says, There is no other name given under heaven and earth whereby we must be saved. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, There is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Now, any attempt for you to come to God or to say that you know God apart from Jesus Christ makes you a liar. 
What does God mean? He means exactly that. <laughs> so you have to agree with God. If you're going to say you know God, you better make sure that you come to Jesus Christ and through Him because it is the Son who reveals at His will. Here is sovereignty again. Does that mean that He chooses some not to reveal Him? No. He reveals to all, but not all are open to that revelation. And so, it is the Son who reveals the Father. There is no idol that can get you to God. Mary cannot get you to God. If you, your hope is in Mary, you better read chapter 12, verses 46 through 50. Mary and her, his brothers came to get him. Mark tells us because they thought he had lost his mind. And uh, Jesus said, they told him, hey, your mother and brothers are out there, they want you. And he says, who's my mother? Who's my brother? And he looked out to his disciples in the crowd and says, Behold, my brother, my mother, my father, he who does the will of God. So if you're expecting Mary to make intercession for you, you're not going to uh, fare out too well. For she is not co-redemptus and she is not an intercessor for Jesus. She herself needed salvation. You better read Luke chapter 1 and 2. And she declares Jesus as her Lord. And so the intercessory uh, practice of saints, of virgins, of whatever, is completely against Scripture. And the only way you can come to the Father is through the Son, Jesus Christ. Strong words that Jesus says. Notice that He doesn't bother to explain. He just gives the words and He allows you to decide. When people say, but wait a minute, we always think we have to, hey, that's God's word. I'm not going to argue with you. You argue with God. You won't win, but he'll let you argue if you want. And so the declaration of truth, don't lose it. Don't miss it. Verse 27 is the key, and it stands between the other two points. Jesus finishes off by giving us the invitation for salvation. Notice we said, how do you respond to those who reject the gospel? How do you respond to those who have accepted? In spite of all the rejection, in spite of all the, the, the conflict, Jesus, His heart is still open to those who are not saved. He continues to extend His hand. He continues to reveal the gospel. God help us if we get so callous that we say, ah, forget them. May we be more like Jesus, like John the Baptist says, may I decrease and he increase. It is here in verse 28 through 30 we get the invitation for salvation. Come to me all you who are labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Simple altar call. Nothing elaborate. He doesn't beg, but he preaches with a broken heart. He preaches out of love. He opens his arms wide. The call is for all to come. All who labor and are heavy laden. And Jesus says, I will give you rest. Those who are laboring under the burden of life, sin, 
its destruction, the search for meaning coming up empty. He calls all. He excludes none for whosoever will come. God's not willing that any should perish. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever will. God excludes none and He invites all. Believing Him for who He is and what He's done and what He will do. Committing everything to Him knowing that I can't figure it out, I can't do anything, but He says He can and I just commit it to Him and man, I rest. I rest from my labor, from that burden of life. Some of you are carrying around a big pack. You need to come to the cross, it'll fall off. And the blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse you from all sin. Brand new creature, new divine nature, son and daughter of God. If you respond to the invitation and the call, come. The command is to take his yoke upon you and learn of him. This is if you respond to the come. The yoke was used to guide and to lead ox for work. It was also used to join two and to have them work together. So they would track together. God now wants you, if you respond, to track with him. He wants to lead you, to instruct you, to work with you, through you. And you work for him. A yoke a bonding together, walking side by side, progressively, productively, purposefully, because you are in agreement with Him. But He says, learn of me. This speaks of discipleship. You get in the Word of God. Know what God says. Know what God has promised. Know what God requires. And then walk in that obedience. That's discipleship. To make a decision in an altar call is simple. To be a disciple takes a lifetime. And he says, learn of me. But that rest is from the burdens of life, the difficulties, the situations. And if you've lived long enough, you know that life is real difficult. You have to think and pray, and Lord, how am I going to support my family? Lord, my job is, they may lay me off, and my kids, Lord, they're not really giving heed, and, and, and Lord, you know, I've got this problem. And, and though every one of those things, bring them to God. And if we carry them on our own, they get so heavy that even as Christians, we can be blown away, can't we? We can be in the king's house and be starving. We can live in the king's house and never take the privilege to go talk to him so he can take care of our problems. We can live in the king's house and hide around corners and do things we're not supposed to thinking that he won't find out. So it's not exclusively to the non-believer. We need that rest. But notice also, and finally here at the end, the personal relationship is to be experienced. Verse 30. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. His yoke is easy means well fitted. 
Do you know they used to take down, you know, some of you have your cars, you want to go have a custom dash or something, you know, and you get all excited. Well, you know, guys in those days, they get excited. They take their ox down and have the, um, uh, the carpenter make a, a customized yoke for their ox. This way it would fit them perfectly and it wouldn't cut them and hurt them. It was made for his weight, his size, and, and this way he would go exactly where the man wanted him to. It would be productive. And so God calls you and myself, and he says that his yoke is easy. It is fitted, and it will be beneficial for your life and mine. God makes no mistakes. You may be sitting here and before for so long, say, oh, I made a mistake who I married. I not. Are you married? No mistake. <laughs> God's perfect will. Now, you may have screwed up your relationship with each other. You may have offended one another. You may have really hurt some, each other deeply, but, but don't, don't say God makes mistakes. But you know, she was a non-believer. You married? God's will. <laughs> now, if you're a Christian and you marry in disobedience, that's a different thing. Then you've reaped to what you've sown in disobedience. So put all those things aside that, you know, you are questioning God, and as he says here, Take that yoke and turn it to God and say, Lord, I can't do nothing with this, but can you do something? Please help me. And if you are willing to submit yourself to God, regardless of the difficulty and the heartache, you know what? If you will obey, there's the key word. His yoke is obedience. Obedience doesn't always feel good. But obedience always makes me more like Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? Disobedience may relieve the pain temporarily, but ultimately it will kill me. Obedience may hurt me tremendously right away, but long-term wise, I'll be the better for it. Don't ask me how it works. I don't know, but I've experienced it. And this is the last point. You have to experience it personally. I cannot experience that for you. For he says even his burden is light, which means that his love is sufficient for all things. Even as Christians, we have difficult times, but how is it that we can bear under it? Because his love constrains us. And when love is motivating you, you will do whatever and it's no burden. You know, when our loved ones get old and we have to care for them or our children are sick or something happens, we care for them and people look upon us and we go week after week, month after month or, or somebody needs help and we do it and they say, man, how can you do it? I love them. What else can I do? It's no big deal. And so here, the burden is light. Why? Because it is God's love that empowers us to obey Him. Not my love but God's love. And so here you have the Lord proclaiming truth about salvation, how He responded to those who responded, how He responded to those who rejected. How do you respond to those who have received the gospel? Do you rejoice with them? Do you pray for them? Do you follow them up? Do you encourage them? How do you respond to those who have rejected the gospel? Do you take a personal offense? Do you move on and 
reach others who are receptive and continue to pray for them and then come back afterwards. Always being open, knowing that nobody can sin so great a sin that it cannot be forgiven except for the one, a continued rejection of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a better question. How are you going to respond to the gospel if you don't know Jesus Christ? Pastor Xavier Reese with an open invitation to receive the good news of the gospel. And if you'd like a copy of today's encouraging study from the book of Matthew called How Do You Respond to the Gospel? As always, it's available on CD for just $4. And this message contains what Pastor Xavier shared last time we were together as well. Now, the title to ask for once again is How Do You Respond to the Gospel? Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's important that you tell us the call letters of this station when you contact us. And then join us for more Simple Truths right here next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com